Hi, this is Sherry Boshard with another edition of the Plug in America podcast. Talking with us today is Mike Kane, a member of the Board of Directors of Plug in America. Hi, Mike. Hi, Sherry. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. Well, let's talk a little bit about the fascinating connection and, and synergy between plug-in vehicles and renewable energy. Well, a lot of people got into electric cars by first getting solar power, and other people did it the other direction. How did you get into all of this? I guess we did it at the same time. We, we were interested in, in both, and we had friends that were involved in both businesses. And uh, we, took a, we took a year off and traveled uh, mostly in the third world and just saw how much people were using solar energy and other forms of energy that we don't use here in the United States and got real interested in both electric cars and solar, and we got our first electric car and put in our solar system about the same time. When was this? That was in 2002. Oh, what kind of electric vehicle did you get? Our first electric vehicle was a truck. It was a um, Chevrolet S10 electric. Uh, it was a factory-built uh, pickup truck from Chevrolet that had the same drivetrain as the EV1, their uh, little electric sports car. So this is one of the vehicles that was produced in response to the California Air Resources Board Zero Emission Vehicle Program requiring the car companies to make clean vehicles. Is that right? Exactly. And the, the difference with the truck is that uh, GM sold a small number of them to uh, companies that then resold them to the public. So there's a, a very small number of them, about 50, that are on the road in private hands today. Oh, that's fascinating because there were very few vehicles that were sold. I know a few hundred Toyota RAV4 compact SUVs were sold. Um, and there was another truck out there, the Ford Ranger. Were any of those sold? Right. There was a very small number of Ford Rangers sold. Um, Ford did not sell any of them originally, uh, but there were several uh, leasees that uh, talked Ford into allowing them to buy the truck. So again, there's a small number of those on the road probably less than 100 in total that have survived um, that are in private hands or will be in private hands as they, they take the program from Ford's warehousing that they have now into actually selling them to the public. And as our listeners probably know by this point, the story of how we lost most of the other vehicles uh, is told in the movie Who Killed the Electric Car? So Mike, tell us a little bit about how you use your electric vehicle and your solar power in your daily life. Do you work in the solar industry or what do you I, do I with do, it? I do work in the solar industry. I, I did not at that time, uh, but uh, in the last year I've started working with a company that sells rooftop solar systems. And I work here in Orange County, California, talking to potential clients about you know, how the system would work and how much it would cost what the economic benefits would look like, what the environmental benefits would look like, and help them make the decision about whether it makes sense for them. Uh, with an electric car, the economic benefits are actually somewhat better because um, gasoline uh, as an energy source is more expensive than electricity. So if you're offsetting uh, the cost of gasoline, you can pay off the system you know, in seven to eight years. Uh, if you're just offsetting the cost of electricity, it can be anywhere from 10 years to 20 years to get a, a payback on the system. Oh, that's a big reduction in payback. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it, uh, it really does make a, a huge difference. Um, the capital cost of the solar can, and the electric car together can pay, pay for themselves in just several years. So what kind of price range are we talking about here for what's an average residential installation of solar? What would it cost people? Um, average is kind of hard because there's a big disparity in the amount of electric use that people would use. Um, a system that would produce enough um, power to power a car 
the average um, kind of daily commute distance that people do would probably cost uh, on the order of about eight to ten thousand dollars. A full system to power a home can cost anywhere from uh, fifteen thousand up to you know for larger homes can be you know seventy eighty thousand dollars. How does this work? Does the, does the electricity from the panels go right into the car? Um, no, the electricity it, that is possible, and some people have done that. But um, uh, generally speaking, the best way to do it is to make the power and put it back in the electrical grid. And most states in the United States have something called a net metering law. It says that the electric company has to take that power and credit you for the power at the retail rate. Um, so as long as you produce power um, during the day, that is creating a credit on your bill that offsets the power that you use. Typically in most homes, that's in the evening when it's dark outside, so you're not making power at that time. So rather than having to store that energy for when you need it, you simply generate credits with your electric company, and then you offset the cost of your electricity uh, when you use it later. So at the end of the year, you basically have almost no electrical bill. At the end of the year, you have uh, potentially zero electric bill if you sized your system correctly. In most states, um, you don't generally want to size the electric bill to produce more power than you make uh, because you generally don't get paid for the excess. So typically, uh, solar companies will try to undersize the system slightly. So you'll still have a small bill at the end of the year. But in our own case, we paid last year for our entire year. This is to power our house and our two electric cars, uh, $200 for the year. Wow. And if you have an electric vehicle and, or plug-in hybrid, you'd almost never be buying gasoline and have zero electric bill with solar. That's, uh, that's a really good scheme there. Right. So you can see over you know, several years that cost avoidance pays for the upfront capital cost. Mm -hmm. And electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids also, it seems, are going to have a great synergy with wind power too. Do you plug in your car at night? When do you charge? Typically, we charge at night. Um, you know, the car's in the garage all evening, so the best time for us to plug it in is our, our last trip of the day when we come home. We plug it in. It charges overnight. In the morning, you know, the car is ready. In the case of the RAV4, it's ready to go 120 miles for the day, which is on almost every day more than we drive in a day. So you have two vehicles now. You, do you still have the S10? And no, the S10 has been sold to uh, someone up in Washington mm -hmm. uh, State who's, who's driving it up there. We have um, the RAV4 electric vehicle that's our primary car. And then we have uh, a neighborhood electric vehicle that was made by Ford. It's called the Ford Sync Neighbor. Mm -hmm. uh, we use that around town. We live in, a, in an older residential area, so it's fairly easy to get around at 25 miles an hour. And uh, so running to the, our children's school or to the uh, grocery store or the library, uh, that's the vehicle that we use. And there are several neighborhood electric vehicles out there now. They're limited to 25 miles per hour because uh, they haven't been uh, crash tested, but they're great for local errands and for uh, gated communities and uh, local streets with lower speeds. Um, those kinds of cars as well as others are listed on the Plug in America website, pluginamerica.org. Exactly, and it's it's very dependent on the area you live. They are very practical uh, in some some situations, but but they can be difficult in in uh, neighborhoods where you have uh, high speed feeder streets, uh, so that it, so that it, um, it very much limits your ability to get around. Mm -hmm. But especially in older neighborhoods, they work great. And I mentioned wind power earlier because 
you plug in your cars at night, and a lot of wind blows at night. And there's been yeah. uh, interesting uh, proposals with vehicle-to-grid technology that we could store that wind power in cars and pull it back out during the day. Yeah, from an environmental standpoint, um, especially here in the southwest where it's sunny, uh, the bulk of our electricity usage is in, in the day, especially in the afternoons in the summer when it's hot and there's a lot of air conditioners running. Um, so if we charge cars at night, we tend to use capacity out there in the grid that is underutilized. Um, and then we level the load for the electric companies. We're putting power with our solar systems into the system at the time when the system's the most heavily taxed. Mm -hmm. And we're taking it back out when the system is very much underutilized. So um, both from an economic standpoint and an environmental standpoint, that works out very well. Um, in the case of wind, um, wind actually produces most of its power at night when cars would be plugged in. So um, that particular source of energy works very well with electric cars. And just this week, uh, a commissioner on the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission did a demonstration in Washington, D.C. of the vehicle-to-grid concept with one of AC Propulsion's e-boxes. It's a converted Cyan XB that's been made into all-electric that can go 120 to 150 miles. And they rigged it up with sort of bi-directional chargers. And in, in concert with a utility company, in this demonstration they showed that when the utility meisters were saying we need more energy or uh, cut back the energy, the car's battery would respond by either sending energy back to the grid or not and recharging the car. So they actually um, set this up with uh, software that mimics the way um, that power plants interact with the electrical grid. And um, they could actually go out and talk to the car as if it was a big power plant and the car could put power in as the grid needed it. Um, and as we look forward, what we see is we're going to have a, a fairly big resource out there with cars that have batteries with quite a bit of energy stored in them. In the middle of the afternoon, they'll typically be sitting in a parking lot uh, waiting for the you know people to come out of work and commute home. Um, that's oftentimes when the, the grid is overtaxed. And this would allow the electric company to go out take some power out of those vehicles and put it back into the grid so that we don't end up with brownouts or, or even blackouts in the future because we do have this big resource we can call on. This is the reason that Federal Energy Regulatory Commissioner John Wellinghoff calls these cashback hybrids and cashback electric cars because the utilities or other power aggregators might pay the car owners for the privilege of tapping a little bit of that electricity when needed. And picture it, people, millions of cars out there that can be tapped a little bit so we don't have to run the polluting power plant. Very exciting. Well, and in fact, in that situation, um, uh, companies go out and buy electricity on what's called the spot market. And they generally pay a lot more for that electricity than they actually charge the consumers. So they're taking a big loss on this. So you can see that they could actually pay a fair amount for that electricity um, from, from these uh, electric car owners that are out there and still have it make economic sense to them. Yeah, Commissioner Wellinghoff estimated that a car owner might be paid between $400 and $2,700 a year for a contract like this. Right, and there would probably be you know, standby fees, for instance. So they might pay you a, a very small monthly fee, uh, or maybe they give you some sort of a break on your electric bill if you agree to be in this program. And then if they actually took the power, they would pay you for the power. 
So you know, it, you can see a scenario where it makes a lot of sense for both the electric company and the uh, the plug-in vehicle owner. But as Commissioner Wellinghoff says, first we need the cars, and that's what Plug-in America is about: is getting new plug-in cars on the road. Exactly. That's that's been our our primary objective from the beginning: is that uh, um, we want to see that choice for people out there, so they can they they can choose electric cars. And uh, as long as the cars aren't available, um, that choice is not there. So Mike, if you were going to give our listeners one suggestion on if they wanted to go solar, what's one step they could do? Well, solar, you know, of course, solar, there are lots of ways to use the power of the sun to offset your, your energy use. And of course, some of the, the really inexpensive ones are simply skylights that offset lighting um, or, or bigger windows that offset lighting. Um, another one is solar water heaters, and there are solar water heaters out there that could offset the, the power use that you use in actually um, uh, generating hot water. And the state's about to offer some incentives and rebates for people to install solar they hot water. In California, there's a there's a new program that will incentivize solar water heaters, and there'll be there'll be rebates out there for solar water heaters. Um, there's also talk about resurrecting uh, federal tax credits. Um, uh, bigger federal tax credits for solar water heaters, uh, mm. like we had in the past. Solar power uh, is a, is, uh, is an option that's available to just about anybody. In California, we certainly have a um, a rebate program that makes it much more attractive. Um, this is a fairly big capital outlay, um, so it's something that um, you know typically someone who owns their home, you know, has some disposable income, uh, sees this as a good investment for the future. It's also a possibility for someone that has some equity in their house or is buying a new house uh, where they can uh, take out a home loan for it, a 30-year home loan. The um, cost of the loan is actually, on a monthly basis, would be less than the savings. So you'd have you know, positive cash flow right from the beginning. Yeah, some friends of mine uh, did that. They installed solar, and their monthly payments on the loan were actually less than they had paying every, been paying every month for electricity. So it was a win-win all around. If listeners want to find an install, a solar installer near them anywhere in the country, you can go to the American Solar Energy Society website, ases.org, and they will help you find installers near you to talk to. Well, thanks for being with us today, Mike, and keep that solar power churning. Thank you, Sherry. This edition of the Plug in America podcast was produced by Sherry Boshert and edited by Joseph Puentes, with music composed by Red Bennett. The Plug in America podcast is supported by listeners like you. For more information, go to pluginamerica.org or email us at podcast at pluginamerica.org. Thank you.